All righty, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 4. This will be our last uh, topical from this great epistle that we've been going through. Uh, next week, of course, we'll be starting in Colossians. I'm looking forward to that. But this morning, I want to draw your attention to verses 10 through 13. And of course, Paul speaking, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, now that at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, I also know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Of course, this morning I really want to point to you what true contentment really is. Because so few people ever find it. I remember my mother, and God bless her soul, she's home with the Lord now, but she wrote a song years ago. And man, I was... Uh, how old would I have been? I was a, a barely a teenager. And uh, i never forget because I, she had entered me into this talent contest. You know, she was a typical stage mom. You know, and she entered me into this talent contest. And then I was supposed to get up and sing this song. And it was, it was a big thing out in California. And I was scared to death. I'd never done anything like that. And my mother tells me, oh, yeah, by the way, you're singing my song. <laughs> So she made me sing this song that she wrote. And the song was called Peace of Mind. Okay? And it was a good song. But years later, I realized that, you know, in the song my mom had written that I've searched and I've searched for peace of mind. Where on earth I cannot find. I've traveled east. I've traveled with. It, it goes on and on. And she, she tells this song, you know, in this song about searching for peace of mind. Now, everybody has a different definition of what that means. But the simple definition of it is to be fulfilled. Uh, it also means it's synonymous with happiness. Okay? Everybody wants to be happy. Now, the problem with her song, of course, and I pointed it out to her years later, was that it never told you how to get it. It just talks about the search for it, you see. And uh, those of you who uh, have listened to rock and roll, there was a band out there, still is actually, uh, by, called YouTube. YouTube? Or have I missed that one? Anyway, they had a song called, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. It's along the same line. Paul talks about true contempt. What is it? How do we achieve that? How, how can I have peace of mind? How can I have true contentment even when things aren't well? Even when things aren't going the way that I want them to? Back in verse 4, Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. He said, Always rejoice in the Lord. And here in verse 10, of course, being a man who practiced what he preached, you know, Paul said, I rejoice greatly when I saw that you sent a care package to help me. I know that you always care for me, that you wanted to help me before, but you simply lacked opportunity. As I have pointed out, if you want an example of a giving church, then you need to look no further than the church of Philippians. Great bunch of people. People who got it. 
they understood it. They loved Paul. They loved what Paul was doing. They loved the anointing and the calling that God had on his life, and they simply wanted to be a part of it. What a great bunch of people. The people, really, who put their money where the ministry was. They understood that. Then you, you know, if, and if you want to, of course, have an example of that, which they are, then you need to look no further than these guys. You know, in fact, Paul said that in verse 15 that the Philippians knew that no other church had helped him, which I found strange. It's odd. Because the two churches that really were the most prevalent in that area was Thessalonica and Berea. And I made mention of it Wednesday night. You know, the fact is, is Paul even gave the Bereans as an as a, uh, illustration of people who studied. He said the people in Berea were much nobler than those in Thessalonica and that they studied, you know, they searched the scriptures daily to see whether the things Paul said concerning Christ was true. So, very interesting that the, but they weren't necessarily givers. I just find that interesting. But the Philippians were. They had locked arms with Paul. They wanted to help him. The money he raised, you know, a lot of times came from, you know, his occupation. A lot of people don't realize that. You know, Paul was a worker. He wasn't just a preacher. You know, he didn't just live of the gospel. According to Acts, most of the time he labored in his occupation, which, if you know, was a tent maker. He made tents. In fact, even in, even in Christendom today, you know, in theology, a lot of times when we're talking amongst ourselves, pastors, that is, a lot of times we'll say, well, are you tent making? Which means, do you have a side job? And unfortunately, within Christendom today, sometimes amongst pastors, they talk about tent makers, that is, pastors who are bivocational, as though that's a dirty word. <laughs> but, you know, they're in Acts chapter 20, when they're talking about Paul, of course, he says, I have coveted no man's silver, Paul said, or gold or apparel. I wasn't coveting their clothes. I didn't want their money. He says, yea, you yourselves know that these hands of his had ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. Man, I love that. I have showed you all things. He said, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus who said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul said that the Philippians, the church there had ministered to him with their gifts of sacrifice, he called them. A sacrifice that was well-pleasing to the Lord. It wasn't because he insisted upon receiving it. He hadn't even asked for it. In fact, it was only during the times that Paul could not work, the times that he wasn't able to tent make, that he really relied upon the brethren from the fellowships to help grease the wheels of ministry, to support him. But he never would have asked for it. And I, and I love that about Paul. I think this is a, there's a great problem within the body of Christ today. And, and really, it's been around for centuries. I mean, it's nothing new. You know, I, the establishing of an ecclesiastical class has done more harm to the body of Christ than it ever did any good. You know, it's funny. I think that Jesus told his own disciples, you know, that the Pharisees, they love to be called rabbi. Teacher, you see. Oh, teacher this. You know, pastor, pastor. They love those titles. I've always tried to point out that pastor is not a title. 
Now, people use it as one, and I'm okay with that. It's all right. But, you know, my mommy called me Dougie, and I'm good with that one, too, you know? But some guys love those titles. They love that stuff, you know? And so they have this ecclesiastical class that really I don't think has been good because Jesus told his own disciples, the Pharisees are like that. He said, but this shall not be so among you. The Lord didn't want us. He didn't want no big eyes and little U's. He wanted it to be an us thing. You know what I'm saying? That's why I always love to say that in Calvary Chapel, there's very little distance between the pulpit and the pew. Very little. You know, we just have different callings. You know, God's called me to be the mouth. I'm okay with that. You know, and, and he probably called you to do something else. And I'm good with that. You know, it's good for a man, I believe especially a man who's going to be in ministry, a man who is called by the Lord. It's good for him to have an occupation. I remember Pastor Chuck years ago teaching at a Calvary Chapel conference, a pastor's conference. He said it is almost necessity that you have an occupation that you can fall back on if you're a pastor. Something that you can rely upon as a, you know, to supply your need and the needs of others. Unfortunately, today, though, there's very few that do that. I remember years ago, uh, this would have been well over 20-some years ago, when I first uh, was the pastor in Zanesville, and I remember going to a, a pastor's huddle. And, of course, I was a businessman. Uh, I had been for a long time. I owned a laboratory. I, I was, uh, uh, you know, the Lord took care of me. Let me put it that way. I wasn't hurting for money. And I took no salary from the church that I pastored. Uh, I didn't need to. And, but it was the first pastor's huddle I'd went to. And I remember they were all sitting around. There wasn't very many of us, about 12 or 13 guys, I think. And I, but I remember this subject came up. And one of the guys looked over at me and he said, so are you full time? And I just thought that was because I, you know, I had never considered that. And I just assumed everybody was full time. And so I actually said, I said, well, isn't everybody? And he, he went, well, No. I said, what do you mean? How can you do ministry part-time? How's that possible? I did, you know, that was foreign to me. That was a strange statement because I didn't get it. And he says, well, you know, uh, do you take your living from the church? And I just stated it as a fact. I said, well, no, I don't have to. And I remember at the time, a good buddy of mine, and he's home with the Lord now, uh, first time I had ever met him, uh, you know, he he thought that smacked with pride. <laughs> and he told me that at the time. And I, I considered it. I thought, well, is it? You know, I don't want it to be. I certainly didn't mean it to be. I, I was just simply stating what the truth was. But I've come full circle on it. I remember for a long time, I thought, well, maybe I need to. Maybe it's, but no, I don't think so. Paul didn't do it. The apostle Paul didn't do it. He never t really took a living from the church. He didn't do it. Even though he had the ability to. But so many of them today do. Now, within denominationalism, even with non-denomination, some, some churches, there's those who look at full-time ministry as a means of income. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've actually had young men come to me and say, you know, I'm thinking about going into the ministry. And I always encourage them, man, great, praise the Lord. We need more men behind the pulpit who will preach the Word of God. Absolutely. And then they'll say, well, you know, uh, it, it's not a bad income. And I'm going, okay, stop, er, back, whoop, step back. Do, me, do us a favor and go get a job because you're going into it for the wrong reason. Unfortunately, a lot of people make a decent living 
in the ministry. Even the Apostle Paul himself would declare in the book 1 Corinthians that those who preach the gospel, he said, should live with the gospel. Thus, we have to conclude that there's really nothing wrong with it when a man does. Yet, in the same passage there in Corinthians, Paul said that the privileges of ministry, when it came to personal income and those type of things, was something that he himself did not exercise. Uh, let me read it for you. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live in the gospel, but I have used none of these things. Neither have I written these things that they should be done unto me. For it were better for me that I should die than to have or let any man take away from me the glory that I have in Christ. I like that. You know, Paul says, hey, I could do it. I just don't do it. Why? He didn't have to. He was genuinely trusting the Lord. So when Paul said that he was rejoicing in the Philippians giving, I want you to understand that he genuinely meant it. He really did. He was rejoicing to see them who loved the Lord doing exactly what the Lord would have them to do as believers. He loved the fact that they were just giving. Paul would later tell them that it wasn't that he desired a gift from them, but he desired fruit. He wanted to see their giving produce fruit in the ministry that God would lay to their account. And you need to know that. That when you contribute, that's why we've never received tithes and offerings here at this fellowship by passing a plate. I don't knock anybody who does. But I have found that people are much more ready to give when it's not coerced. I, I think it's a beautiful thing. You remember when Moses was building the temple, the, the tabernacle, that he told the people, the Lord told him, he says, have the people bring in a free will offering. Let them freely bring it. Don't, it's not a tithe. It's not, any, it's not necessity, but just tell them to bring it in. And after the people began to bring the stuff in, and it got to be so much, finally Moses said, no, stop. Stop. It's too much. It's too much. Man, I can tell you, when you let the Lord do the work, you will be like that. You'll be like Moses going, Lord, it's just, it's too much. You just bless so much. You can't outgive God. You, you've got to know that. If you're a giver, you're going to realize that. You just can't. Philippians knew it. Paul was genuinely rejoicing at their ability to be givers. And I love that. There's an old saying, you know, it takes one to know one. You know, Paul was a man who was a worker. He worked for a living, and, and, and he was a giver, and he took joy in those who were also. So when he said, you know, I rejoice in, in the gift that you said, he meant it. But then he went on to say, very profound, there in verse 11, he said, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. What a window that we get to look through now to see how Paul was. You know, Paul once again reminded the Philippians that he wasn't saying these things to manipulate their feelings, you know, in order to, that they might give him an offering or something. Uh, he wasn't poor-mouthing God. He wasn't going, you know, guys, I really don't have this and I don't have that, because, boy, that happens a lot. i got to be honest with you. I, I, I have little tolerance for that, you know. 
poor, don't poor mouth God. You know the, the beauty, you know, so sometimes, I'm telling you right now, sometimes people will do that, you know, they, they want to give a testimony and they start talking about all the things they don't have. And then some poor guy in the church will go, well, brother, let me see if I can help you out. And that's okay. But let me tell you what a bigger blessing is. Take it to the Lord. Take it to God. And then watch the Lord supply that need through somebody who didn't even know. Then you can genuinely stand up and let me give a word of praise because let me tell you what happened. Man, I was at a time in my, and you know, and that God is really glorified in that. So much greater than poor mouthing. Paul wasn't poor mouthing God. He wasn't saying what he didn't have. Quite the contrary. Paul said by this time in his ministry, he had learned, and I emphasize that, he had learned in whatsoever state he was to be content, happy, fulfilled. He had peace of mind. Keep it in mind that the context of what Paul was talking about in this passage of Scripture is giving and receiving. That's what he's talking about. And, of course, you know, we're talking about finances. It was also the Apostle Paul who would later write to Timothy uh, with a warning about the end times and that there would be preachers and those who would be in the body of Christ who really sold the flock, the chief, the, you know, the, the church of Christ as nothing more than sheep that were ready for the shearing. They like to fleece the flock instead of feed the flock. And we know that there's people like that even today. He said to Timothy that these preachers would be men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, he said, who suppose that gain is godliness. It doesn't take a prophet to look around and you could see a, that you could put a list together, really, compiled of those teachers and preachers that money is the earmark of their, of their ministry, whose own personal lives are nothing more than an exhibition of extravagance, taken from the wallets, of course, of unsuspecting believers who have ignorantly, I think, contributed to their misguided ministry. But Paul continued there in 1 Timothy, and he went on to say that godliness with contentment is great riches. You really want to be rich? He says, then be godly, that is to be godly minded, keep minding the things of God, and to be content with that. He said, therein lies great riches. Therein lies happiness. Therein lies satisfaction. Therein lies fulfillment. Our satisfaction, our fulfillment in this life can never be from an abundance of stuff. So many people do that. You remember, I, I remember reading a psychology book one time, and they were talking about the issue of, of uh, self-gratification. And they were talking about how some people, certainly nobody here, I know that, none of you guys, would ever get the blues to the point where you're going, you know what, I'm going to go buy something new. So you go and you go buy something new because something new tends to take your mind off of something blue, <laughs> you know? And uh, it never works because as we all know, as we've come to realize that even if you go buy a new car when you don't really need a new car because you're depressed, that after a while that car begins to depress or devalue itself just simply by sitting in the driveway. I often found it funny that Pastor Chuck 
would always buy used cars, even though he uh, owned his own orchards and stuff, and that's how he made his money. Not from the ministry, but he made it from, uh, you know, owning uh, avocado orchards. Uh, but yet when he would buy vehicles, and he, he certainly wasn't a poor man, uh, but he certainly never bought new ones. And the reason he didn't was because he said as soon as you drove them off the lot, they, they devalued in, in price, and, which was true. But you're never going to be happy, you see, is my point. When you're just simply buying stuff, Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? That's not what brings contentment. Oh, for a moment, you know, until the new wears off. But that's not how we do it. That's not where our satisfaction, our fulfillment in life comes from. Paul said that I have learned, he said, to be content. He had learned it. It's not a natural state of man. You know, man always leans towards extravagance. We all do. We all really want to have a life of ease. We just do. It's a human nature. You know, man always wants to seek a life of comfort, you know. That's why in our houses, you know, most of us have that chair that we like, our particular spot that has the cushion shaped like our backside. Because we like it. You know, we want that ease, you see. Man always seeks that. Which is why so many false teachers today who are lacking, as Paul said, they're corrupt. They seek a life of ease and comfort. That's what they're looking for. Contentment is learned, my friends. It's learned. It comes from dying to oneself. It comes from thinking of others more highly than yourself. And it's only achieved through self-denial and total dedication to the things of the Lord. Thus Paul was able to say there in verse 12, he says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Hmm. When Paul said this, I believe he was really drawing from Proverbs 30. There in verse 8 and 9, I'm going to read it for you. He says, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Hmm. You see, the emphasis is keeping yourself, both spiritually and physically, totally dependent upon Jesus Christ. That's really what he's talking about. This is why Paul said that it was something that he had learned. Didn't come natural. Doesn't come natural to anybody. He had to learn it. Something that the Word of God instructed him. I'm instructed, he said. But it certainly doesn't come naturally. In fact, the Bible says that the natural man, that's a person who's not born again, does not receive the things of the Spirit of, of God, neither uh, because they're foolishness to him, neither can he know them. It's impossible. When you give yourself totally over to the things of the Lord, when you don't seek riches, when that's not your goal, the world's going to think you're nuts. The world is going to think you're crazy. Maybe even some of the people sitting in the pew next to you are going to think you're out of your mind because they don't get it. I remember years ago, True story. I was a young man. I was, a young, I was very young in the ministry, but I, I was looking for a job. I had a job. I was a receiving manager at the time. 
And I had this one old boy that used to come in, and he worked for Tony's Pizza. If, you, if you're in a store, you, they sell, you know, they're frozen pizzas. And he was leaving, and he said, you know, he says, I could probably get you this job. And this would have been like 1985, so a long time ago. And I said, so what's it pay? And he said, well, it starts off at 57000 What? He said, well, it goes up to 70 to 80. I was making five bucks an hour, okay? So I've got to tell you, that was a pretty lucrative thing. You know, I was like, wow, that was a lot of money at that time, okay? And I says, uh, put me down for, that's a yes, I would like to have that job. So he got me an interview. And I had to drive all the way to Columbus to get it. And I'll never forget it. So I go to this hotel. They were doing it in a suite. And so I walk up and I knock on the door and the guy answered, oh, yeah, yeah. So he's all dressed in his suit. And I go in and sit down. And I'll never forget it. He sits down he's, and he says, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to go. We're just going to ask you some questions and just answer the way you feel. I said, oh, I'm good with that. He said, what motivates you? First question, right, off the, right, out, of the, right out of the gate. What motivates you? And without hesitation, I said, helping people. <laughs> I meant it. And he went, okay, let me rephrase it. <laughs> what is it that you really want out of life? And I said, to be of service to people. And he went, okay, I don't think you're understanding what I'm getting at. I said, maybe not. He said, don't you want to be rich? Don't you want wealth? And I said, not really. No. I'm really not motivated by that. And that was, I can tell you right now, totally the wrong answer if I wanted that job. Why? They were looking for somebody who was motivated by greed. Why? Because you would sell, 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 sell. See, I was motivated by service because I had worked in the backside of a, a store. I knew what those cases looked like sometimes. I want to go out there and straighten them up, you know, put the product out there, make sure that the freezers take. I mean, that's who I am, but the wrong question. That guy looked at me like I had a third eye, and he was like, I think we're done here. <laughs> I was in there two minutes at most. And it was like, and I walked out there knowing I didn't get that job because I wasn't the type. See, when you're not seeking those things, when you are not motivated by those things, the people, the world's going to think you're crazy, man. They're going to think you're nuts. I can't tell you how, how many times I've been in pastor's conferences and, you know, every church I've ever pastored, I've never taken a salary. I just don't do it. I, why? I don't need to. God's been good to me. My cup runneth over. I'm not a rich man, but I'm certainly not poor. And so I am at liberty to put all that I have of my life into the ministry. And I'm not knocking people who don't. I mean, I'm not saying if you take a salary, somehow you're, you're not doing it. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying for me. And I know that when you do that, people look at you like you got a third eye. They just think you're crazy. You know, they just don't get it. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. Neither can he know them. They're foolishness to him, man. They'll think you're crazy. Content that has to be learned, though. You know, I was content. 
And I've learned that. It's the same way. That's why I love this passage that Paul says. I've learned to be content. It has to be acquired through the study and acquisition of the Word of God. It just does. This is exactly where Paul was in his life. He had learned to be content in whatever state. That doesn't mean whether he was in Florida or... It's a joke. (laughs) In whatever state he was in, whether he was poor, whether he had or had not, whether he was hungry or full, it didn't matter to him. He was content. He was happy. He was fulfilled. Although those things are both learned and acquisition, the way that we learn them and have the ability to acquire that type of selflessness is found here in verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And I know those who are listening by radio or some other means are going, yes, amen, that's my life's verse. Well, don't hate me after I get done saying what I'm about to say. Because it's a great verse. But let me point something out to you. Now, this verse is one of several in the Bible that is almost always used out of context. And if you've been listening to me any amount of time, you know I've always told you that any text taken from its context becomes a proof text for a pretext. What's that mean, Dougie? It means that you can make the Bible say anything you want to say as long as you don't keep it in context. Okay? I believe... I mentioned Sunday that years ago a group of young men I was lifting weights with, uh, we was in the gym, and they had these t-shirts printed up, and they were kind of cute, I have to admit. They had a barbell on top of the, the guy standing, and the barbell was bent, you know, and underneath of it, it said Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. And I remember, I remember they, were, they were proud of them, too. <laughs> they, they did look cool, I have to admit. But I started chuckling. He goes, we we laughing about pastor. I said, well, that's a great shirt. It's too bad it ain't biblical. <laughs> too bad, too bad you've taken that completely out of context. He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, that verse doesn't mean what you're making it say. It's not a statement of strength. You know, every time I see somebody talking about that, because a lot of times people say that, you know, I can do all things. You remember those of us who are old enough, you remember Superman, do you remember the Superman television show? Able to leap tall buildings. And they would always show him with the wind blowing and he would be standing with his chest out. And You know, I could always see somebody wearing a t-shirt that says Philippians 4.13, you know, faster than a speeding bullet, you know what I mean? No, that's not what he's talking about. No doubt Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. I know that. But in the context of what's being taught here, Paul knew that when he said, listen, I've had all, I abound, but yet I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in, whether I'm poor, whether I have, whether I, you know, I'm hungry or whether I'm starved, whatever, or I'm full, I've learned to be content. I'm actually fulfilled. I'm happy at this moment. He knew that there would be brethren that this would raise the ire of who would say, are you out of your mind? You're in prison for God's sake. 
How could you be happy in prison? You gotta be hungry. Come on, brother, be honest. He knew that there would be people saying that. So what does he say? See, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I can be content because of my relationship that I have with the Lord. Because whether I'm here or whether I'm gone, I've got a cousin that just went home to be with Jesus Christ this morning. I had the opportunity of talking with him over the last you know, few months or, you know, and, and, and just to listen to him talk about how he had turned his life around, you know, and he got it straight with Jesus. And I remember even talking to his wife, and I, and I said, you know, every time I talk to Mike, he sounds like everything's fine. Everything's hunky-dory, you know. And she said, I know, that's, that's Mike. See, I, I would contend that anybody who is right with Jesus Christ, if you're right where the Lord wants you to be, you can be that way too, regardless of what the diagnosis is, regardless of the condition, regardless of the position, whether you have or have not. This is what Paul meant when he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. It's not a super Christian mantra. It's a statement of relationship. That's why he was able. Paul said he had learned to be content regardless of where he was at, regardless of whether he had money or he had none, whether he was sick or he was well. He was instructed both to be full, to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need, he said. He knew that that statement was going to draw some sort of criticism. So he said, I can do all things through Christ. You see, if you're going to be content, if you're going to have true contentment, where you can genuinely say, oh man, I'm good. I am, I'm good, I'm, I'm, I'm great. Whether you have or have not, if you can really say that, if you're going to have that ability, if you're going to be a giver, if you're going to be sold out to preaching the gospel, if you're going to be sold out to using all your personal resources to achieve what it is that God's called you to do, if, if you're going to take a stand that I brought nothing into this world, it's assuredly I shall take nothing out. Therefore, I'm going to use my time, my talent, and my treasure to preach the gospel. If you're going to do that, and you're going to be happy in doing it and content and fulfilled in that, then you're going to have to do that by the power of Christ. You're going to have to be content in nothing but what the Lord has for you. I can tell you from personal experiences, me and a brother was talking this morning about times when we didn't have certain things, like, you know, a roof over your head, you know? I knew a brother one time, uh, I know Gerald remembers Willie, and uh, what a great guy. You know, before I met Willie Mayhew, uh, we had a cafe there in Zanesville, and I was laughing, I was telling Brother Martin this morning, I said, you know, yeah, there was, the place was packed on Fridays, <laughs> it was always full, and I said, a lot of the reasons was because we always gave away coffee, it was free, all you had to do is walk in and fill up your cup, you know, and we supplied a lot of, a lot of downtown people, I'll leave it at that, Willie Mayhew's would come in and sit in the corner. He always had his hood pulled up over his head. Big, big, burly beard. Looked like he hadn't had a shave in 
Lord knows how long. But he, he, B- B- Willie was sporting a beard before beards were cool. You know? And he would sit in the corner. Nobody would ever, you know, and he would just sip his coffee all by himself. I would always go over and try talking to him. And he never really wanted to talk. And then one day he showed up in my office and, and uh, he, he had a real gruff voice because he smoked a lot. And, hey, pastor, I want to talk to you. And he came in and next thing I know, you know, Willie rededicated his life to Christ and I actually moved him into the church even though I took flack from my board. Some people telling me that he would diminish my ministry. Well, he was a good guy. Didn't do a lot. He told me one day, I said, so where do you stay at? And he says, well, <laughs> actually, I live under a bridge. <laughs> I said, what? Well, actually, I live under a bridge. You live under a bridge? How do you live under a bridge? Well, I've got a tent. I live under a bridge down off 6th Street. So we went down and checked him out. Sure enough, he lived down there under a bridge. And he had been living there for three years. Willie gave his life to Christ. I wound up, uh, we had a very big facility, and the Lord had been very good to us, so I talked to guys into building him an apartment upstairs. Willie became my uh, attendant for the building. He also became my head uh, deacon. Uh, to see a man minister the way Willie did. And I'm not picking on anybody, and I've known a lot of great men of God. But Willie was the type of man who lived what Paul's talking about. I remember there was people who had you know, we had lots of stuff at Calvary Chapel. We were very uh, blessed in those areas. There were people who had come to me. They were concerned about me moving him in there because, you know, there was money laying around. And I remember I took a couple hundred dollars of my own money, and I purposely just left it back there. But I told Willie, I said, Be, feel free to take it and use it for whatever you want. He wouldn't do it. For the next... 10 years, I wanted to pay him because he deserved, he worked, he labored, he cleaned, he did. It, when you walked in that place in the morning, Willie was always there with the coffee was on. Let me get you a cup of coffee, Pastor. And I said, brother, you know I got two legs, right? I can, I, I'm good. I'll get it for you. You stay here and study. That was Willie, wasn't it? And he did that for everybody. He would take the money that I gave him as a stipend. And he would give it to other people in the church that he thought was more needy. There was nobody in that church that was more needy than Willie Mayhew. That's my point. Why? Because he was content. He was content. You know, really, I mean, he had nothing. And yet, when he died, 
the morning he went home to be with the Lord. He had contracted cancer. And I remember going to the hospital, and I said, Willie, you know, what are they telling you? Oh, they're telling me, you know, it's fourth stage, and I'm probably going to go home and be with the Lord. I said, are you going to quit smoking? He said, no. <laughs> oh, my gosh, he was such a great guy, man. He just loved Jesus, you know? When they went up to his room the morning, it was Sunday morning because Willie was always the first one there. He always had the doors open. It wasn't that way that morning. They knew something was wrong. This is after I had retired. But the pastor there told me that he went up to his apartment, knocked on the door, no answer. So he took the privilege of just cracking the door. And he said he thought first Willie was just praying because he was there at the foot of his bed, knelt down in prayer. That's how it went home. You know, my point. My point. When it comes to the things of this life, uh, stuff, Willie Mayhew's had nothing. But he had Christ. And he understood the gospel better than most. I remember walking through the park one day. This is long before Willie had went home. And had a, my old pastor, as a matter of fact, was walking with me. and We were just having a talk. And we looked over at a park bench, and there was a Bible laying there. And I said, oh, look, somebody left their Bible. And I went over and picked it up. And I opened it up, and somebody had written in the front of it. And it, it said, hey, I know you're probably, it was just so written in such normal language. I know you're probably down and out. I know you probably don't have anything. I know you're probably living on the street. But let me tell you, this book and Jesus has changed my life. I left it here for you. Well, it means. That was his life. That was Paul's life. Oh, he could have been somebody. I didn't tell you this. Willie was a college graduate. Willie had an education. Willie was more educated than me. Willie chose the life that he had in Christ. A life of servitude. A life of serving. A life of putting others before himself. I learned more about servitude from that man than anybody I'd ever met. He made me a better pastor. He made me a better Christian. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what true contentment is, my friends. It's not the size of the house you have. It's not the kind of car that you have. It's not how much money you got in the bank. It's having Jesus Christ. This is why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. The same thing Willie told me when he found out he was dying of cancer. I can do it. I can do this because I have the Lord. And when you've got Jesus Christ, you've got all that you need. You've got all that you need. So take what it is that God has given you, my friend, and put it into the ministry.
in some way, shape, or form, all your time, all your talent, all your treasure, and use it for the glory of God. Willie had been estranged from his family for years. He hadn't talked with his mother, I think, in 10 years. He hadn't talked with anybody, none of his family, none of his brothers. Everybody had forsaken him because why? He had been a drunk. He had had his time of trouble with the law. And there was that time in his life. But then, then, when he went home to be with the Lord, when, when, when the funeral was held, Calvary Chapel Sanctuary, which was big, the sanctuary was big, it was packed. It was packed with people whose lives he had touched. His mom had died already, so she wasn't there, but his brothers were there. They had no idea of the impact that he had had on people. Some people looked at Willie. I'm sure they thought he was just a bum. He wasn't a bum. He was a great man of God. He really was. A man I respected. That's what Paul's talking about. I can do all things through Christ. I can meet the challenge, if you will, whether I have or have not, whether I have a roof over my head or whether I'm living in a tent under the 6th th Street Bridge. I can do it. And I can be happy. I can be content. I can be fulfilled in that. See, that's the challenge for you and me this morning, my friend. That's the challenge whether you're sitting here or whether you're listening to me by radio, where are you at this morning? Are you that content? Can you identify with what Paul has said here? Can, is, that your, is that your testimony? I pray that it is. I really do. I have learned, Paul said. I'm instructed in every way and in all things to be content. Godliness with contentment. That's real riches. That's, that's what it means to really have. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, I pray for those this morning, Lord Father, who have found themselves in a situation of ill content. Maybe it's the cares of this life, Lord. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's one thing or the other. But The type of contentment, the true contentment that only comes from you, Lord, that's foreign to them. My friend, those of you who are listening, listen to me. The only way in this life you will ever find true contentment is through Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been listening for a long time and the Holy Spirit has kept nudging you and nudging you and nudging you, but you've been resisting the call. Today is the day of salvation, my friend. Now is the appointed time. I would tell you that if you have felt that nudge, then the Lord has chosen you. Repent of your sin, turn from it and turn to the living God. And have a genuine relationship with the Lord. And I'll tell you that if you will do that, 
if you will give Jesus the lordship of your life, then nothing that happens to you in this life will matter to the point or to the extent that it will make you unhappy because you too will be able to learn that in whatever state you're in, they're with to be content. It's pretty simple, really. All you have to do is confess, admit that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, and confess with your mouth that God has raised him from the dead, and you shall be saved. So I would encourage you this morning, my friend, to do that. Make this the day that your life is turned around. The day that you began to live a life of contentment. For those who are still praying, if there's anybody here this morning that just wanted to lift you up in prayer, uh, maybe you're dealing with something, I don't know what that might be, but if you want prayer this morning, raise your hand and we'll just go ahead and pray. I see those hands. I see that. I see him. All right. Anybody else? Well, Father, we just ask you right now, Lord. Those who have raised their hand, Lord Father, I pray that you would touch them and reveal yourself to them in a mighty, mighty way, Lord. Lord, we know that you are the provider of all things. I pray, Lord Father, that you would pour out upon them, Lord Father, your spirit. And that you would just baptize them again in the Holy Spirit, Lord Father, that they would know you in a fresh and new way. And whatever the situation, that you would reveal your will to them, Lord Father, that they can rest in you and be content with such things as they have. We love you this morning. We thank you for all that you're doing, all that you have done, all that you are willing to do, Lord Father, and wanting to do. In Jesus' name, amen.